looks like value stocks maybe could take the baton being led by financials, which have lagged for a while, but now with the steepening, uh, potentially steepening yield curve, that can be a big beneficial for banks and financials, which is a good thing for value. The other thing, I love talking about market sentiment, John, I know you do as well, and everyone's on one side of the boat, that's what gets surprising the other way. Bank of America, uh, Merrill Lynch has their monthly survey of about $650 billion worth of global managers. The bottom line here, they are less bullish on value over growth, the lowest it's been since 2010. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Hey, Ryan. Hi, John. I'm glad to be back with you. I'm glad you made it today. Yeah. Ryan and I were just talking about this before the taping. I went and did the right thing Saturday afternoon. I went to the pharmacist, got a shingles prevention vaccination, and uh, that was Saturday afternoon. Yesterday morning, I woke up with a high fever and muscle aches all day long, so I spent the whole day in bed. <laughs> but thankfully, this morning waking up, it was just the usual pain of joints, nothing else. So I think I've recovered. But at least I won't have shingles now. So I've got that going for me, which is nice. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, 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 every year I get the flu shots. Well, maybe not every year. Maybe like, it's like every other year. Anyway, last year I did get the flu shot and actually ended up with the flu in February. But I think I only have like a day, so they said it actually helped, um, you know, the flu go away quicker because I did receive the flu shot. But, John, just for our listeners, you know, I didn't even know, like, is there, with shingles, should, um, more so I know, is there an age you should get that, or should everyone get the shingle shot? How yeah, I think, I think We're North, doing a PSA North, here for everybody. Yeah, north of 50, uh, it's recommended if you've had the chicken pox, and I've just had a few relatives who've had shingles, and apparently it's a bear. So I know there are going to be enough challenges as I age, so if I could minimize one, I'll uh, I'll do that. I've taken the, sh- the flu shot for 20 years, 30 years, and uh, it's probably only failed me you know, two or three times over that time period. So, oh, well, live to tell about it. And uh, your family's healthy. The kids are good this summer. Yeah, that's what we were joking there. I mean, my kids, I've got three. Um, and it seems like when school's going on, every two to three weeks, one of them is sick. You have to go do a $45 copay at the doctor. And they say, you know, oh, yeah, they're a little sick. Here's some medicine. Uh, but during this summer, everyone's been perfectly healthy in school. I don't want to say this out loud. It upsets parents. It upsets me. But school's not too far away. And it's like, oh, boy, now we're going to start with the um, the kids', uh, kids, kids illness. But this summer, knock on wood, everyone's been extremely healthy, and that's been that's been nice. Yeah, real or imagined, they'll be sick the first week of school. That always happened with ours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, we got a, a, a big week this week with the Federal Reserve. So what Ryan would like to share with you this week is obviously talking about Fed Chair Jerome Powell, uh, what we expect to happen with the rate cut. By the time many of you listen to this, the Fed likely will have already cut by a quarter of a point, and then talk about historical rate cuts, the impact on the curve, and what that means for the equity market. So, Ryan, why don't uh, you share some of your thoughts on what we expect for this Wednesday's Fed meeting? Sure, John. Well, this Wednesday is, in all likelihood, like you just said, going to be the first rate cut by the Fed in 10 years since the financial crisis. And at least as of Friday, 80% chance of a 25 basis point cut, 20% chance of a 50 basis point cut. Now, these these aren't perfect. We think it's probably that's Fed fund futures likely. for our listeners, right? What was that, John? Sorry, that's Fed fund futures for, for yeah, our listeners. Yes, exactly. The Fed funds futures, and the bottom line there is, we think it's very likely we will see that twenty-five basis point cut. And you know, hey, 
the big thing we talked about it here on Mark LPL Market Signals before. If you look at the economic data, you know GDP came in at 2.1 percent, better than expected last last week. Durable goods came in really good. Inflation is low, and that may be giving the green light for a Fed cut. But John, you know the, the economy is on pretty good firm footing. So it looks like, again, we're going to get that quarter point cut likely. The rest of the globe is cutting rates. Uh, you know, it's trying to create stimulus to get their economies moving. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy on both sides, but I guess the bottom line is that it's more of an insurance cut versus a needed cut. Um, insurance cuts similar to what we saw in the mid-'90s and again in the in 1984, where the economy showed some signs of weakness. But you do that cut, things can expand, and the expansion can last usually pretty pretty good uh, pretty long time do you, john first of all maybe i need to hit it back to you do you think we'll see a 50 basis point cut or will it be 25 yeah it's it's a it's a curious time uh i think it's going to be 25 basis points but when you're talking about the fed fund futures i think it's important to recognize and you talk about the economic data as well uh, standalone economic data does not justify a cut um, but as we've talked about many times the yield curve is really a tale of two yield curves right if you think about 90 days and two years, that would suggest, and that is sending a signal to the Fed that policy is too tight for A, the uncertainty of the trade situation, and B, policy in the U.S. is too tight relative to interest rates uh, around the globe, right? The, the, the gap is too wide. So I think that's something we need to keep in mind. There's speculation about the 50 basis point rate cut, and uh, something I want to be very mindful of and I want investors to be mindful of. You may remember we went to market neutral, uh, market weight on equities uh, late March, early April after the Fed, I guess, formalized with the dot plot chart at the, at the, at the March meeting, the conclusion of the March meeting that they were going to cut this year. Um, you know, Jerome Powell obviously signaled or hinted about it in January, but the March meeting was where it was clarity in black and white in the statement. Uh, but nonetheless, markets rallied going into that news, uh, and then we had a buy the rumor, sell the news that Wednesday afternoon after the Fed met in late March. Uh, I want investors to be prepared. You know, we're at record levels now. We're hovering around record levels now uh, for large cap stocks, and I just think it's important if to the degree people are counting on 50 basis points and we're buying the rumor, sell the news, if it's only 25, we could be in for about a volatility uh you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this week. So I just think people should be should be prepared for that. I, I think doing 50 basis points is too much too soon. You know, we've always joked that it's never the first rate cut that gets you. It's always the last. And clearly December was one too many as the market voted on that, right? So I think 25 basis point cut, signaling a further cut, uh, the following meeting may not do anything. And then we could see one, one more this fall. But it's likely just a... Uh, I would think two cuts of 25 basis points in 2019. Right. You know, John, I mean, you're talking about 25 basis points relative to 50 basis points. When we've taken a look kind of where these first cuts in a new rate cutting cycle take place, the bottom line is if it's a 50 basis point cut, that could be a little bit of a worrisome sign. And here's what I mean. In 2001, 2007, the Fed started cutting rates with a 50 basis point cut. These other times, you know, the mid-80s, the mid-90s, we saw 25 basis point cuts. I guess my opinion on that is 
Maybe the Fed knows something that the market doesn't. There's a little more worry, so they realize they need potentially a larger size cut. So if we see a 50 basis point cut, I think, that, again, that would be a surprise for our base case on Wednesday. And maybe that's something we'll definitely have to reevaluate. Maybe there's a little more trouble in the system uh, that Fed sees that we don't. John, one other thing and I just want to point out. You oh, mentioned the dot plot. And summarize the dot plot for everyone just real quickly, then I'll go from there. The dot plot is a uh, compilation of all the Fed uh, members' projections for um, for rate cuts over the next couple of years, and it's uh, detailed in a in a scattergram. You don't know who voted for what, but you see uh, the plot on a scattergram. So it's referred to as the dot plot. Okay, perfect. So yeah, so in June we had the most recent dot plot. There are 17 voting members. Eight of them expected a cut sometime in 19. Again, that number's probably higher. What I want to point out is we will not have an updated dot plot at this Fed decision. Um, we'll have to wait, I think, until September for the next updated dot plot. But the bottom line is there will be a Q&A uh, with um, Chairman Powell, as always, after this potential rate cut. So as you mentioned, volatility, we've absolutely seen a lot of volatility after uh, Fed days. And it's really everyone trying to decipher what did he say in his words? It seems like the market goes back and forth. Um, you know, bottom line is he's probably still going to say the economy looks okay, but a 25 basis point cut is warranted. And that's something we need to be mindful of because you, when you talk about the, the press conference, we really, and we'll continue to emphasize this for our advisors and our investors, that you have to focus on the fundamentals because we could be subject to a major whipsaw in this market. One school of thought could be if they do 50 base points, that's exactly what investors have been betting on for the past three months. And then we get it, and there are two ways to interpret it. You know, you could be, thank goodness they did what we want, so stocks are fairly valued on a justifiable basis. And the other school of thought is, what do they know that we don't? Let's sell everything, <laughs> you know? So it's... Damned if you do, damned if you don't. So we just have to be mindful, and I would caution all investors not to overreact to whatever the market reaction is over the next handful of days, because I think that's really that's going to be something. You know, we we do expect volatility one way or the other. Uh, exactly, John. I'll wrap it up like this. We discussed a lot of these thoughts in this week's weekly economic commentary for LPL Research. We entitled it the inaugural rate cut. And one other stat that Callie Cox dug up. Um, that I thought was really interesting. Since 1990, um, let me see here, uh, 12 months later, after that initial cut, the average number of cuts is actually five. So you tend to see more cuts. So it's really important to note here, though, that's kind of skewed by sometimes we've gone into recessions. We see a lot of similarities you know, with the mid-90s, uh, then and now, and potentially after the 1995 surprise cut, we saw two more cuts the following 12 months. So maybe you know, one or two cuts in the next 12 months makes more sense assuming we're not heading into um, a recession right now. John, anything to add on the rate cuts? I know we're going to talk more about how stocks and, and the yield curve perform. Anything else on the Fed this week we should yeah, I, I think 1995 is the better example, given the, the fundamental data here. Uh, just consider it more course correction, policy adjustment, as opposed to a real swing. It's, I mean, it's fascinating to think that 10 years into a recovery, we need to do this. Um, but or 10 years into an expansion. You see, we still call it a recovery. No one's really <laughs> ready to fully embrace it, right? Uh, myself included, and I do embrace it, actually. Um, but it could be, and I think you and I discussed this 
you know, several podcasts ago, but it, it's conceivable that this could be the greatest uh, soft landing ever uh, if, they, if they pull it off correctly. So uh, this thing could extend, you know, but then you have so many other variables, geopolitics, the election next year. Uh, a, a lot of things could affect confidence, which could affect growth. But nonetheless, looking at the fundamentals right now, uh, we still think 25 base points. When you look historically, I think the 1995 example is clearly more relevant than 2000 or 2007 when they did the 50 basis point cuts. Now, exactly. Now, John, I know we also wanted to focus on the yield curve and bonds for a minute. Maybe I'll set it up like this. I mean, we talked about this before. I think it's so important. 1994, the stock market was flat, yet the economy was strong. Mm -hmm. 1995, the economy did weaken. The yield curve started to flatten. It didn't quite invert. Uh, But then what happened? The Fed had that surprise cut, and stocks did really, really well up almost 30%. What's that sound like? Well, gee, sounds a lot like this year, right? Last year, the stocks were down, economy strong. Now, economy's weakening weakening Fed, potentially cutting, and stocks do well. So there's that similarity. So, John, the yield curve, the short end did invert for almost uh, two or three months, and I think it just popped back above uh, 0%, so we're no longer inverted on the short end. The long end continues to steepen. What are your thoughts on the yield curve here, and can it continue to steepen on the short end? Yeah, I talked about uh, earlier tail of two curves, right? And uh, yep. short end, again, just to repeat, short end's telling us policy is too tight for trade uncertainty, and policy is too tight because of interest rate differentials with, say, the German Bund or the Japanese government bond, for example. Uh, the longer end, whether it's 20, 25 basis point between twos and tens, twos and thirties, uh, a little longer on twos, a little wider on twos and thirties, tens and thirties, sorry. What we've got to think about is, does that portion of the curve suggest confidence that whatever the Fed is about to do will result in improved demand, will result in a degree of pricing power, which is why we've not seen the whole curve invert. And I, I suspect that is the case. And I think we just need to be mindful that not only is the curve reflective of the market's confidence in the Fed's uh, ability to generate a, a soft landing, but a lot of the flatness of the curve, we, we can't lose sight of the fact that global central banks have been so aggressive. The ECB and the Bank of Japan clearly doubled down. The ECB definitely is doubling down now, right, with uh, new policy being signaled, more accommodative policy being signaled by Mario Draghi, the head of the ECB, a couple weeks ago, that there's still a valuation dynamic on the curve, which is something we've not really experienced previously. And the valuation is, you know, you and I, when investors, Ryan, could myopically uh, view the 10 years expensive, but on a relative basis, compared to the German boon yielding what, negative 30 basis points, negative 40 basis points, or the uh, JGB, Japanese government bond yielding what, negative 15 basis points, you know, that would suggest the 10 years are screaming by domestically. So they're, even with hedging costs, global investors are still buying the 10 year, which when you buy a bond, the price goes up, the yield goes down, and that also has been a weight on the curve. And that's something I think investors need to keep in mind. Uh, great points there. So, John, let's go to our final subject then. And this is part of our weekly market commentary where we take a look at, we titled it More on Fed Rate Cut Implications. And the bottom line is my question was can the Fed cut rates first off near all time highs? And we found 17 times going back to 1980 where the Fed indeed did cut rates uh, within 2% of all time highs. So it is possible. Uh, little bullet point on that. A year later, the S&P was actually higher every single time, 17 out of 17 times. It's a pretty strong return. 
So you're virtually know, guaranteeing it won't be this time, right? Exactly. I mean, I, I jokingly, you know, in um, a lot of presentations that we do around the country, I see you and I on this podcast mentioned many times that December had never been the worst month of the year since the Great Depression. I think we jinxed that one, but let's 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 just leave that at that. Um, once once in eighty-seven years, you, you can know, be wrong, Ryan. Exactly. So. We took a look um, this week in the Weekly Market Commentary, John, as you know, and if there's, if there's a cut this, this time for the first uh, cut of the new cycle, what we found surprisingly, what, well, maybe not surprisingly, but, but interestingly, I think, you tend to see growth outperform value over the next year if you're not in a recession. The other thing that really got me was growth starts to outperform nine months before the cut, almost like growth sees this cut coming. Growth started outperforming in November, uh, so we're not quite nine months, pretty close. I mean, John, I know we still like value, but kind of give me you know, give me some bullet points on why we still support value if history says growth might do a little better the next 12 months here. Yeah, I'm, I'm banging my head against the wall on, on the value call because, um, you remember, we went overweight value that's what uh, that noise January was. January of 18. I heard that in my yeah, office. Yeah, I didn't know what that's talking That was me yeah. next door to you banging my head. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> now, when you consider what the policy levers that government can pull to get the economy moving, right? You have regulation, you have taxes, you have government spending, and you have trade. And when the 2017 uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, I mean, it was late 17, right, December 22nd of 2017, but we really saw that after a decade of monetary policy leading, we looked for a fiscal policy to lead. And that did lead, that did work for nine months last year. But as trade policy uh, continued to, or trade uncertainty continued to prevail, that's when businesses stopped investing. And then what we experienced, obviously, was the, the, the sell-off uh, over Fed uncertainty, hedge fund selling, and then the trade the trade uncertainty as well. So there were a combination of factors that hit us real hard in December. Now we're back into this situation uh, with the Fed and the ECB being more accommodative going forward, we're back to where we were for the bulk of the past decade, where, you know, when the Fed cuts, it lower interest rates, boost growth. And so the the value tailwind uh, from fiscal policy is now a headwind for value given monetary policy. So we'll just have to see, see the degree of monetary policy. We still think it's only going to be about two of the next three meetings uh, but nonetheless, when the Fed is cutting, growth is outperforming, passive is outperforming. You have a rising tide lifting all boats. You know, a really curious dynamic. Russell 2000 index of small cap stocks, you have a situation where more than a third of the companies don't have earnings. And that is a recessionary print. But because policy is so accommodative, that results in corporations all subject to a low and in, an invariable cost of capital. So you have these zombie companies that are able to function because of low interest rates. That's one. Number two, you have the rising tide lifting all boats. So it's a tailwind for growth. It's a tailwind for a passive. And it becomes a headwind for active strategies and becomes a headwind for, for value as well. So we're going to be monitoring this very closely, but something to keep in mind for investors who think Growth doesn't have any legs left to it because uh, it's now conceivable if the Fed is going to be a tailwind once again, that could uh, continue to propel growth higher. But we want to make sure multiples are not 
entirely out of whack. Right. Now, two things, John, I guess I'll add on the value versus growth uh, dynamic here. You know, in the second quarter, the top performing sector out of the 11 uh, S&P 500 sectors were financials. Right. We're, we're starting to see so banks have had a good reaction to earnings, obviously a big part of financials. And let's be, let's be clear here, financials are a very large part of value. So it looks like value stocks maybe could take the baton being led by financials, which have led for, lagged for a while, but now with a steepening, uh, potentially steepening yield curve, that can be a big beneficial for banks and financials, which is a good thing for value. The other thing, I love talking about market sentiment, John. I know you do as well. When everyone's on one side of the boat, that's a surprise move the other way. Bank of America, uh, Merrill Lynch, has their monthly survey of about $650 billion worth of global managers. The bottom line here, they are less bullish on value over growth. The lowest has been since 2010. So, again, a lot of people are not warm and fuzzy about value. And from that contrarian point of view, uh, if this yield curve keeps steepening, that could be, and again, multiples are very cheap on valuations. Bank stocks are the cheapest they've been in a long time. Uh, those are all kind of positives, I think, for value. So, John, I know we've only got like a minute or two left. Um, yeah, let me make a point. Let me, let me make, you want to go ahead? Yeah, let me make away. a point right there, if you don't mind, because you make sure. a good Excellent point there on financials. You know, the mar to the degree the market's a discounting mechanism with financials having done so well last quarter. Very curious dynamic, right? If the market is counting on a Fed cut, that should compress net interest margins, so that should be bad for, for financials. Yet, I believe what the financial services sector is telling us is that the Fed won't cut too much, and to the degree that it is only two cuts over the remainder of this year, the market's saying that, that those two cuts will be inflationary. They will spur demand, which will cause market interest rates to rise, steepening the curve, steepening or widening net interest margins. So it's a very curious dynamic. And then when you make that point about sentiment, uh, that could be a, a nice contrarian thought process also to boost the financial sector, which we all know very critical uh, for uh, overall performance in the markets. Uh, exactly. So, John, maybe two more comments for me. I know we're getting near the end, but we also discussed in our weekly market commentary after that initial cut, the attend over the next year, as long as you're not in a recession, to see large caps do better than small caps. If we head into a recession, small caps tend to do a little bit better early in a recession. But late in the economic cycle, as we've said before, and in our mid-year outlook we released about two months ago, we like large caps and you tend to see large caps outperform small the year after that first cut, if not in a recession. Also, industrials are one of those groups that we like as well. And industrials historically have tended to outperform after the first cut as long as you don't head into a recession. So industrials and large caps historically do well. We discuss that more in the weekly market commentary. John, I had fun this week. I'll send it back to you to bring us home. Absolutely, Ryan. Thank you so much. Appreciate everything. And uh, clearly going to be a big week um, with, with the Fed. But again, keep in mind what we talked about from, from an economic standpoint. Don't see uh, really crumbling economic data justifying this. We think it's more of a interest rate differential globally as well as the uh, the degree of short-term rates relative to trade uncertainty. So uh, we think a couple of cuts are necessary, but that's about it. I think the economy is still going to chug along in that two and a quarter percent type range. And uh, clearly, looking at history, we don't believe we're we're setting up for five cuts like we've seen on average since 1990. We think it's going to be more like 1995, where we see two cuts, and we'll be closely watching the performance of financials and industrials. Uh, industrial is the most highly correlated to the, the overall market. 
to see how the market interprets Fed policy. So, Ryan, thank you so much for your participation today. I wish all our listeners a great week. It'll be an exciting week, and we'll look forward to sharing more next week, the next edition of LPL Market Signals Podcast. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.